Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is uh, July 31st, 2022. We're continuing our worship service. We're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, here we have the thought of the week. This opens up with a verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are pictured here as seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. As we study the features of the baptism of the Spirit, we will see that it identifies us with the person of Christ. Everything true of him is also true of us. This ministry of the Spirit is unique to this age and gives us our identity before God. We share everything Christ has, his life, his mind, his position, his righteousness, and his destiny. We are even said to share his experience in death, burial, and resurrection, as in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. What is interesting about this experience is the position. I'm sorry, what is interesting about this experience is the level of our identification. We are and have everything he is and has. We share his relationship with the Father, which he always had from eternity past. And Jesus speaking of this future grace, blessing as to come, that all may be um, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Taken from John verse 17, verse 21. Even though we are like Christ in so many ways, there is authority in this relationship. He is the head over the body. The church Ephesians 1, and 23, Christ is Lord. He is the vine. We are the branches. He is the bridegroom. And we are the bride. And that is the thought of the week. And I'd like to offer a commentary. And actually, my commentary just goes to one particular verse, um, one that is my favorite, one of my favorites. And that is 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17 that therefore if anyone is in Christ which is a result of this baptism of the Holy Spirit um, that we just read about that if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the new creation has come the old is gone and the new is here and just like we were saying before we started this recording we cannot have AM and PM same time you know there is either one or the other and in this through the belief in christ and by the baptism of the holy spirit we have become this new creation so let us spend our time to focus on the word and understand what has happened to us so that in that day we will realize that we are in the son and the son is in us just as the son is in the father and the Father is in the Son. And that is my commentary for the thought of the week. And I believe we'll have um, Doug for 
prayer. Amen, Dwight. Thanks for your uh, comments and commentary. I am tasked with the prayer, so I will uh, look to the Lord. Um, if there are uh, prayer requests, please make them known. I'll pause for a moment. All right. We are going to look to the Lord, <clears throat> Lord in prayer. Stand by. Father, thank you so much for this time we have this morning. It is with humbleness of heart that we come and we look to you for wisdom, for guidance, for knowledge as we live our lives in this world. We thank you for those who have joined this call and are a part of uh, what we are trying to do, our mission here. We, we believe, Father, and trust and know that you have guided us even to the place where, where we are. And we trust that you will continue to grow us so that we will fulfill our destiny and the calling that you have given us. So, Father, we pray for uh, our church family initially. Uh, we're praying for those who are grieving among us, Sneed family, uh, Myers family, uh, and those who I haven't mentioned that may still be going through difficulty. And then there are those who are sick among us. And you know who they are, Father. And many of these requests still reside on the hearts of your people, Father. We pray that you would help them to encourage them to cast all of our cares upon you, for you care for us. We thank you for that provision as well, Father. We pray for the things that are going on in this world that we we want to be able to live peaceful lives and and be able to go out and, and to be a witness for you in this world. And we pray for those who are in authority over us. We pray um, all the wars that are going on in this world. Father, we, we pray for peace so that we can move about freely, spread the gospel to wherever we are, and talk freely about the, these important matters for every soul that, that Christ died for in this world. Also, Father, we, we pause for uh, just to recognize Jesus Christ, who without him, none of this would be possible. Without him, we, we would not be able to address you personally. Uh, we stand in him. He, everything he is, Father, we are because of the work that your plan involves around bringing many sons into glory. Thank you, Father, for our calling. We thank you for the provision of the Holy Spirit, which provides so much, not only knowledge and wisdom, but power as we live in this life. And, and it, it, he gives us the power to be able to perform those things that uh, he shows us. All this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So we have, um, after four, uh, four weeks, we took our time and got through 1721. And 1721 was very detailed. Uh, it was, we had 
there's a lot of concepts, implications uh, in those in that one verse. There was quite a lot, and I don't apologize for taking four weeks. I would say if we needed to take six weeks, we should have done it, because as we uh, as I look back on it, there's always more we could have said, but it's a point in time. And that's where we are. So we're going to start verse 22 today. 17:22, which says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So in your notes, when a plan comes together, it is a wonderful thing. It reminds me of project management. It is defined as, quote, the use of specific knowledge, skills, tools, and techniques to deliver something of value to people. And this comes from the PMI, or Project Management Institute, and um, one of those institutes that, uh, when I was at work, many were seeking certifications from this Project Management Institute to be project managers, which was a very lucrative uh, profession in, in the corporate environment. So uh, this is where this analogy comes from. It says, while the Father's plan cannot easily be reduced to a project, the principle is the same. The Trinity wanted something that would be of value to them. So they undertook this course of action to forecast, fund, plan, design, execute, and deliver something of greatest value to them. So this is more information from PMI. Quote, all projects are temporary, are a temporary effort to create value through the unique product, service, or result. All projects have a beginning and an end. They have a team, a budget, a schedule, and a set of expectations the team needs to meet. Each project is unique and differs from routine operations. Notice, routine operations. The ongoing activities of an organization because projects reach a conclusion once the goal is achieved. And that, again, unquote, that comes from uh, the PMI, which is, and you can get some of this off their website, just as I did, uh, under the title, What is Project Management? So the metaphors here are many. And when I say many, I would hope you can make your own metaphors, or you might see even more metaphors than I already see. And it could be a point of discussion down the road of how closely project management fits the Father's plan. As I, start, I stated earlier, it will not be 100%, you know, uh, where it fits perfectly, but at least we can use some, some of the analogies given. So back to the statement here. The more we allow the Spirit of Truth to reveal the Father's plan to us, the more we see what the members of the Trinity did before the creation of the universe. While evolution has no master plan or specific purpose, the Father's plan does, and meticulously 
revealed, it is meticulously revealed in the Word of God. So we have some thoughts that I want to see if we can share about this, I would say, is another profound statement that adds to a lot of information we already had in those in the previous uh, verses in John chapter 17. So we're going to take two phrases here and we'll try to break them down. Okay, so the first one is, I have given them the glory that you gave me. First thought, I have given them. So when we read, quote, them going forward, we must include the disciples, which the disciples are now part of the foundation as apostles, and the whole church because of verse 20 and 21. So verse 20 and 21, that's clear about who. We, we, we covered this in enough detail. Hopefully, uh, this is not something I have to prove or demonstrate anymore. It is something that is firmly in your knowledge of, uh, of what we uh, are using as part of the understanding of what our relationship is to the Father and Christ. So, so this, I'll just read it, just 17, 20, and 21, just because my prayer is not for them, and we know them alone means the disciples, who we, he was talking about all the way up to this point. It's not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be. One. So what we're talking, and we're, you know, we know the rest of verse 21, but that verse tells us there is no nominal Christian. Every Christian is valuable. Every Christian is important to the Father. Right? There's not just, oh, here's the priest up here, and then there were just the minions down here. Or here's the bishop over here, and then there's just, we're just parishioners over here. No. Every single believer has the spiritual dynamics mentioned here. Not some, all of us. That all of them has this dynamic. So that, that's important. I just want to point out, when he says, I have given them now, because he's been talking about them throughout the whole chapter, but he's only been referring to the disciples. But now, from this point forward, well, really, we got to know... It's even before. But going forward, you got to include all of us now because of verse 20 and 21. That's the first point. Point B, what then has Jesus given us? What is it? He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Well, what is it that he's given us? Well, the glory. We kind of discussed this quite a lot when we went through verse 5 and some other verses. Right? We, we gave this some good attention. And I use some of the notes. I would just let you know that it's, it's no problem reminding you of some of the things I've written. So not only did I borrow from some of that, but I modified some of it. But th that's where you get some of this thought. Uh, so it, in context, right, it's, this is about glory. And so my question to you is, what is your response to this statement? I have given them the glory that you gave me. Now, this is, this is if, if we already said it goes back to verse 5, 
And Jesus is talking to the Father about some time period before the universe was created. He's talking about some glory that he's asking the Father for. And then he tells us here in this verse, I have given them the glory you gave me. So we, have, we must assume some things from that. But boy, do the questions begin. Right. If, if it was me, and, and, and we just had this one statement hanging out there, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Right. There, there are some people who might say, oh, okay, go, it's glory. Okay, great, great, glory. Others might say, uh, wow, <laughs> what, what does that mean for us? Every one of us. And we already said that all of them may be one father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, maybe they also be in us. And then he says, I have given them the glory. What is it that we have? What, what does that make of us? What, what kind of glory is that? There's all kinds of questions. And we need to dig in. If it was up to my thinking, I'm ready to dig in to find out what is this glory all about? What What is this oneness all about? What, what do you mean you made us one? Well, we kind of covered a lot of that, but there's more to follow, right? There's so many aspects, nuances that tell us a lot of, of what has been uh, on the mind of the Father and Christ and the Holy Spirit that we just have to just allow them to open doors for us that have, haven't previously been opened. So we should have many more questions, but I can't tell you what kind of questions to have. You can only tell yourself what kind of questions you have. What, what questions do you have? It's not something for me that I can only tell you what questions they generate in my mind. I can't be inquisitive for you. I can't be hungry for you. You have to be hungry for yourself. Right? It's just like interesting in John chapter 4, where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, the woman at the well, and he tells her, "If you, I have water that if you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. The woman could have said, sure you do, sure you do. But no, it got her attention. He's like, really? Okay, all right, well, give me this water then. Let's, let's talk. Let's get some water. You're telling me I won't ever thirst again. I need to know what you're talking about. Who are you? In fact, for, who, you know you're talking to a Samaritan woman here. Why are you talking to me? So there's a lot of that going on in chapter 4. But you know... You can't make somebody thirsty or hungry if they're not. They have to get it and be that for themselves. That woman was thirsty. She wanted that water. She saw something in the words of Christ and his demeanor. And she wanted to pursue it. And she just went on and, and it led to some glorious things that happened down the road, as you know. So... I can't tell you what questions to have, but you will have to dictate what questions you have. The statements are profound. You should know that the statements that are given to us are profound. And I know, I know that you could read the commentaries and they will marginalize these statements. Oh yeah, well, it's just talking about the resurrection. 
on how we're going to be resurrected and, and have eternal life. And wow, isn't that great? Yes, those things are great. However, this is not talking about that. I would say now, instead of just understanding that to be great and glorious, now you have something on top of that. It's not, we're not talking about that. Yeah, we're talking about that, but we're talking about more than that. We're talking about something that goes beyond that. So you don't lose what we have in salvation. You don't lose it. It's just more. You get more information about who we are when you see the distinctions made and the statements that are given to us. We don't marginalize. We don't take away from those statements. We add to them because God wants to magnify those things in our minds. That's why he's pointing them out. That's why they're in the word. As we said earlier in, in, the, in Second Peter, we ought to pay close attention to what he's saying. Even as we're looking at as a light shining in a dark place, how you kind of look at that light and you see it grow and grow, that's how you ought to be looking at the word. Because it is reliable, it's trustworthy, it's coming from the perspective of God, which we, we don't have. <laughs> we, we just got to look and behold. All right, all right, so enough, enough there. So point C, point C in the context the glory should refer to the glory in 17.5. Now, why, why would I make that statement? It's because we're, we're focused on the context, right? We can just talk about glory. We could say it's the Shekinah glory. We could say all kinds of things about glory. But it should refer, if we're going to pay attention to the context, it should be, Jesus is praying about something here, that he's talking about, some a point that he's making with the Father. So just know, and this is what he says in 17.5. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Well, I don't know how many weeks we spent on that verse. I'm sure it was more than two, but I can tell you. That is another profound statement. Obviously, Jesus isn't talking to the disciples. It'd be one thing if he says, yeah, I was with the Father before the world began. Well, that's implied in this statement. It's our, we have to look past the fact that, oh, well, was Jesus, did he begin at, at, in Bethlehem? No, Jesus began before the world began. He was with the Father in the beginning, all things were made by him. We, we have that verse in John, but it makes us go back and use that verse as foundational to understand this verse. So if we know Jesus was with the Father before the world began, wow. That's all I can say is wow. And this glory that Jesus is asking for, I mean, we're not just talking about this lowly carpenter who began right here in, in the context, we're talking about somebody who has consciousness of his dealings with the Father before the world began. You just have to wrap your mind around that. 
do you have consciousness <laughs> before the world began? Well, we do, but not in the same way Jesus did. Why do we have? Because we had to learn it. We learned it through what the Spirit of Truth has taught us about that time. But we don't know it for ourselves. Like Christ is saying, now, Father, remember I was with you before the world began? Now, I want you to give me the glory that is due me from that. When we talked about those things, the plan of God, and we, we said what role I would play and what will be the rewards and the glory that would be due me regarding that time. I mean, this is, this is way out there for you to think about. I mean, this is, this is not, well, then Moses was on Mount Sinai, and then he came down from the, Mount Sinai with the tables of the law, and he said all these things to the children of Israel. We could, we could read that. We, I understand that. But this, I hope, like I said, you have many questions. This, this should not just wash over you like the waves coming one after another. This should be something you say, hold on, let me hold on to this. Let me just look at this for a minute. And this is what Christian meditation is all about. Christian meditation is not just empty. This is Eastern meditation. Empty your mind. Whatever, just get rid of all the things in your mind and then just try to listen to see whatever... God wants to tell you. Just empty it. That's not Christian meditation. That's Eastern philosophy. That's the way they meditate. But the way we meditate is we take a verse like this, or another verse, or other verses we've already covered, or thoughts that these verses have given us, and we meditate on that. We think about that verse. We allow that verse to saturate our thinking so that now... We become one with that verse. We understand what is being said. We The implications, right? That verse may be pregnant with other ideas and uh, perspectives. We just allow that to just fill our thinking and our thoughts. That's meditation. Through meditation, you get more light. You see more and more. So this is one of those verses, John 17, 5. It started out in John 17 as one of the verses that sets the tone for what is going to be talked about. And obviously what is going to be talked about is not necessarily a teaching, but it is a conversation between Jesus and the Father. It is what we glean from that conversation, from that prayer. It is not, well, and Jesus taught the, sat down and taught the disciples. No. It's not like he did on the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus praying to the Father. And we can learn a lot from Jesus' prayer. What he thought, what he knew, how he understood it, how it hit him, what, it, what are the implications of that. That is all that's, When it tells us to keep our minds on heavenly things, not on earthly things, this is what he's talking about. This is what you should be doing. In your spare time, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about these things? Are, do these things cross your mind? Or is this something that is intriguing to you? Has the spirit of truth 
laid these things on your heart so that you can understand them? Hopefully this is the thought. So we got to keep going, though, in our notes. So it, it is a profound verse, I must say. And I will never stop reading it and thinking about how much this means. This is what we would call the deep things of God. We're there. He's not talking about salvation. Something very specific, as we were saying, that has to do with the church. Point D. That glory referred to the achievement glory of Jesus finishing the work he was to do for the Father's plan. So, (laughs) interestingly, Bill raised this question because it was one of the questions we had earlier. But Bill made it center stage to say what exactly is meant by John 17, 4 in the context, right? And we we talked about how uh, Jesus did many things uh, in terms of work for the Father. But when he says he finished the work, well, how can he say that? Because right after the prayer, that's it. He's going to be arrested. He's going to go to um, Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, that's where Judas is going to meet him. And then he's going to be arrested and so forth and so on. And you know the progression of events that happen. But after this prayer, the discourse is over. Actually, the discourse is already over because now he's turned into the Father in prayer. So he's saying to the Father, uh, you know, uh, give me the glory that I had with you before the world began. So there was a glory that is talked about. In other words, they already planned it and they already saw that from the plan there was going to be glory. And Jesus is saying, it's time. It's time for us now to turn our attention to that, to that plan, where it brings glory. So this is, this is unique in that. The glory, it's achievement glory. So can't be, glory is not something that the members of the Trinity should be talking about with one another. Right? The members of the Trinity already have the divine nature and but but it is about a plan that they have and the achievement of that plan will bring glory so that part of it is what Jesus is talking about he says i'm here i did what my what i was supposed to do i prepared these disciples i got them ready i chose them right these are the ones you told me to choose they were yours you gave them to me and then, and i have told them what you told me to tell you that even just that language back and forth to the father is just amazing just to just allow you to think about well wow so that means that it wasn't just anybody walked up to the disciples and said oh i want to be a disciple no there were specific ones that the father chose from eternity past for he chose us in him before the creation of the world all that planning went on specific people were mentioned before the world began. This was all part of the plan. And these people that you saw, Peter, James, and John, all of them, Matthew, all of them, I'm not going through the whole 11 that were there, plus 
the Apostle Paul makes 12. They were in the mind of God. They were called before the world began. Now that's hard to say because that's before angels were created, before the universe was created, before life as we know it in terms of human beings were created, the first man, and all of the things that have happened that were foundational to us, that we say, oh, the universe was obviously created, uh, the, the, the planet Earth was created, man was created, all of this planning went on before that time began. And guess what? It wouldn't have been able to go on unless there was a plan for it to go on. We ought to start thinking from the top down, not from the bottom up, from the top down perspective. And that's what, when we look at this prayer, that's what we're getting. So point C, in context, the glory is to refer to that glory. Point D, the glory referred to the achievement glory. This is point D of Jesus finishing the work he was to do for the Father's plan. So we covered that point in some Q&A. Thank you for the question, because there it is. We were going to talk about it anyway. Uh, point E, some thoughts on this glory earned by Christ and given to us. Notice it's earned by Christ. Uh, as you're going to see, this glory is achievement glory for Christ, but we didn't achieve it. All we did was believe in Christ, and then all of these dynamics, these spiritual dynamics, are conferred upon us by grace. We didn't achieve anything. If anything, that should leave us in a position of appreciation and thankfulness to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ for being blessed with all these spiritual blessings in heavenly realms. That should leave us with an appreciation, a thankfulness for what God has done for us. Because we didn't achieve this glory. And, and Jesus achieved it for us. He's the one who earned the right to have glory because he executed the plan. He did what the Father wanted him to do perfectly. So we don't achieve it. These are just some of the things. So when I talk about these points below, it, it speaks of Christ's accomplishment. Because if we talk about that glory, since that is the glory, he says, I have given them the glory you gave me. Well, okay. All right, we got to talk about that glory. Well, this is the glory. Point one. Glory speaks of accomplishment and therefore entitlement. So when I look at Philippians 2, 8 through 11, obviously there was accomplishment and entitlement. This is just Philippians 2, 8 through 11. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. This is what he did. Well, first it says he took the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. That likeness, that's in verse 7, verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, this is huge. This is what Christ did when he came, when he found that he, okay, I'm in this body. I have this new nature. That's the human nature. I am, he, he was God. He is God, and he also took on a human nature. Now, in his human nature, what did he do? It says he humbled himself. He 
became by becoming obedient to death, even to the point of death and death on a cross, which is the most brutal, shameful death that, that could be doled out in the ancient world here. So what? So that's what Christ went through, and that's summed up in a few uh, verses here for us. But we we can't sum that up. All that happened. We're, we're, we'll be reading about it for a long time. But but then we see the achievement uh, that he got. Right. Therefore, because of that, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him a name that is above every name. The highest place exalted him. This is the glory that Christ has, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. Talk about being elevated, lifted up, raised up, right. far above all principality and power and every title and the dominion and every name that can be named in this age or in any age, future age, and seated him at his very right hand, a place of highest honor. So it speaks of that. He achieved that. Why do we? Why do we have that? Well, it's conferred upon us. This is part of the Father's plan that we be united to the Son in this way, and everything that comes to the Son. All of his accomplishments, all of his achievements are by grace conferred upon us. It's not just, oh, he died for every sin we committed, right? He, he achieved righteousness. and oh, Yeah, those things are conferred on us for salvation. But these things are conferred upon us because of our position in Christ as his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is different. This is not salvation. I have to differ. Commentaries don't talk about it as much. Now, maybe there are some. I shouldn't say the commentaries. I shouldn't call them out. But I'm only calling them out because they haven't gone far enough to describe what is actually right here in the context here, what's here in the, in the verses of Scripture. Okay. So, so that's the first point we just covered. Point two. We cannot fully know all the entitlement due Christ for his completing the Father's will, but we can review the record. <clears throat> and so some of it I just quoted, some of it already, Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. I want to read that one. There's a particular reason why I want to read that one. So 18... Ephesians 1, 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. So there's two things here. that Those riches that he's talking about that have, have to do with our inheritance and also the position that we have. Verse 19 and his incomparably great power for us who do what? Who believe. That's it. What do we do to, to have this? All we did is believe. And that 
it, it just exactly what Jesus says. I'm not just praying for them, the disciples only, but also for those who believe in me through their message. And what does it say here? Paul confirms it. His incomparably great power for us. What do we do? We believed. That's it. That power. And then he says, what kind of power? That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Those words that are spoken of about Christ being elevated to this position, right, are really the same as what we have. We are elevated to the same position as Christ. So when we read that in Philippians, all the, you know, being found an appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, right? All of those accomplishments that Christ has, and because of that, he was exalted and raised and all that we read. And then every knee will bow, every tongue comes down. Right, all of that we read, and then we saw here where he's saying the power that we have who believe is the same as what Christ has in those verses. It's the same. That's grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't work for it. We didn't fight for it. We didn't earn, you know, achieve. We didn't do anything but believe. Believing is just putting our trust in Christ and God has done the rest. He has raised us up, seated up. And then if we go to, so, so to 2, Ephesians 2, 6 and 7, says, and God, now here it is, if we go back, it says, but, but verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So we should know, how do we get in this position? Well, we were saved. That's it. And salvation, we know, Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by grace you have been saved. What do we mean? Through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. God works so that no one can boast. So all we did to get to this is believe. That's it. God did the rest. And the rest here isn't just, well, I'm, I'm just kind and I'm just going to elevate you because I'm, I'm a good person and I'd like to see you raised up. No, this was a plan. This was according to a plan that we've been talking about that Jesus has revealed to us that he and the Father had before the world began. So I'm hoping you see that. So, back to our verse. And God, this is Ephesians 2, 6, by the way. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Wow. He did that for us? That's not salvation, just so you know. That's not what he has done for Moses and Daniel and David and Noah and Adam and none of those. This is unique for us. And God raised us up 
with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Notice, it is a testament not to our achievement, not to anything we have done, but it is a testament to the riches of his grace. The incomparable riches of his grace. So, we can only be thankful, beholding to God. We can't ever pay God back for this. This is not something we can pay him back. But what we can do is we can begin as those who are recipients of this great blessing that we respond to God and give our lives, just like Christ, and being found in appearance as a man. What did he do? He humbled himself by being obedient to the Father. Well, that's what we can do. Once we know what God has made of us, once we know all of this, we can do the same thing. We can be humble and we can be obedient to the Father's plan through the person and Lord of our Savior and Savior Jesus Christ. So this, this is part of the glory. We have it, right? This, we're, we're positioned in this glory. So this is, this is important for us. Okay, so that was point two. Point three, back to our notes. Here we are, E3, just as a reminder. Obviously, whatever glory is right and proper for Christ is also due to us who are in Christ. Notice, it's right and proper for Christ, but none of us can say, you know, stick out our chest and say, I, I deserve to be here. You can't say that. You have to just extol and magnify the Father's plan for choosing us to be in Christ from eternity past. He chose you. He chose us in him before the creation of the world, says Ephesians 1.4. We didn't choose it. We didn't say, okay, God, of all the places I'd like to be, I choose this one. No, we, we couldn't have possibly chosen that for ourselves. We didn't even know about it until we learned about it. And learning about it should change everything for us. Point four. Glorify me. Glorify me. So when Christ says that to the Father, he's requesting glory. He says, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world began, as we read earlier. So why am I talking about all this? Because remember, this is the same glory Christ says um, he's given to us. The Father gave it to him. He's given it to us. So point four is to glorify me. And, and so this coming from the person of Christ who accomplished the work it is obvious to me that the humanity of Christ is now glorified. So while Christ was standing here, uh, well, when I say here, when he was here on earth and he was talking to the disciples in those, that discourse as he was telling them about the spirit of truth and all this new age coming, all of that, he was very clear about where he was and what time it was. But now... His, he realizes that his time on earth is coming short. This is the reason for the famous verse, let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And he goes 
for the next three chapters and starts telling the disciples information that has to do with this new age that is dawning. Yeah. But right now, if you think about who Christ is, he's glorified. You have to know he's glorified. You don't think, well, he's just a lowly human being somewhere. No, he's at that place. He's raised to that place of glory already in our minds. So we might not see ourselves in that place of glory like Christ is, but he's there and we are there positionally speaking as we just read in Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. Point number five, the person of Christ who walked this on this earth was not glorified yet. So that's the point I was just making, but he will be. Point six, what are the properties of the glorified humanity of Christ? What are the properties of the glorified humanity? Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 15, 47 through 49. We covered this before, but it bears uh, more examination. 1 Corinthians 15, 47 through 49. And really, we should start reading at verse 45. Let's, let's start, start there. So 45, um, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. So it's contrasting the differences between Adam, which was the first man. It, it clearly says that. And the last Adam, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are just, this is just one difference. He's going to tell you more, but this is just one. But by him saying, comparing uh, the first Adam to what he says here is the last Adam, he's saying that he's recognizing that everybody is in one or the other of these categories. The first Adam, there are certainly certain properties and principles of being in the first Adam. We know what those are. You know how we characterize being in the first Adam? The bad news. We say, yeah, well, spiritual death, you know, condemnation, uh, you know, sin nature is passed down to all of us. We can go on and talk about unrighteousness and so forth and so on. That's how we look at it. But, you know, there are other properties that the first Adam gave us that are not necessarily related to the judgments that God uh, levied on the first Adam because of his disobedience. And that is the fact that we have humanity. We're, we're human beings. As Adam, was a, he was created a human being in the image of God. We, we're not looking at that necessarily when we think about being in Adam that Adam was created in the image of God he's a human being this is a new spirit not a new spiritual it's a new creation that God made on the earth we take a take part of that even though we also inherit the fallen part of Adam's nature so let's keep going for that's 1545 46 the spiritual did not come first. Now notice, it says he's a life-giving spirit. So in, in Christ, right, he 
is someone who gives life, right? And we, we already said that the second person, um, the second Adam, or the last Adam, is we know who it is, the Lord Jesus Christ. And who is he also? What's another title? He's the Savior of the world. He is a life-giving spirit. So the spiritual, verse 46, did not come first, but the natural. We're talking about in chronological order. So Adam came first, and then Lord Jesus Christ came. But, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. So Christ came, that's why he would say last Adam as well. 47. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. Now, this is, to me, as I think about this verse, this is another one of those verses or passages where it may take some meditation on your part to fully comprehend the implications of what is said here. If I was reading my Bible, like if it was like in old days when we had paper Bibles, <laughs> this is one you'd want to mark up right here. This, these passages here are ones to highlight, put stars on them, underline them. Whatever you did before, this is, this is what you should do. Because this is an important verse. It says a lot. First man was of the dust of the earth. This is what we are. I like what, what I think Job said. Or ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We will return to the... He's talking about our physical bodies, and that's where it was made. But notice, the second man is of heaven. What do you make of that? He is of heaven. How can the second man be of heaven? We need to talk about that. I know we're not going to go through the whole detail of it today, but we know he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that Jesus Christ became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But he had uh, a history prior to him coming to this earth. So he's not just from this earth. We, some people will say, oh, yeah, he was born in Bethlehem. Yeah, he, he was here as a man. But I like the way Paul is characterizing this by saying the second man is of heaven. He's of heaven. Let's keep going. There's a lot of implications that we could talk about. As was the earthly man. Now notice he's talking about those properties and all that God created him to be and all that. So are those who are of the earth. Now Adam was created body, soul, and spirit. Right. This, but but as it as is the heavenly man. Now so he said he was of heaven. Now he's calling them. The heavenly man. So are those who are of heaven. Why do we need to talk about man, heavenly man? Because he, when he was in heaven, he wasn't a man. Where, when he was the word, he wasn't a man. It wasn't until he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He showed up here in this world in a human body, in a human nature. Well, we're talking about resurrection. That's why. That's why we're talking about man. Because through man came the death, and man also will come the resurrection, right? That's why we're talking about man. We could say the Lord from heaven, but he's trying to make a point here in 1 Corinthians 15. 
So the so as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. As is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. Now you could ask, are we like Adam? Yes, we are like Adam. Now if you saw Adam, you would see somebody who is like us. We get our properties and principles and who we are, our nature. Everything comes because God created that first man. And we are in Adam. We were born in Adam. So that means we have all the properties of Adam. But so are those who are of the earth. So notice, as was the earthly man, he was of the earth. This was his realm of existence. This is where he belonged on earth. Well, as is the heavenly man, so are those who are what? Of earth? No. Who are of heaven. So he would say, well, wait a minute. The heavenly man speaks of the word. The heavenly, well, let's not say the heavenly, the heavenly person speaks of the word who was God, who was with God in the beginning, who all things were created by him, and without him was not one thing made that has been made. He has demonstrated this person who is the word, who is God, is the one that somehow we take after. But he calls him the heavenly man. Well, the heavenly man is only as a reference to because of resurrection, that's why he was talking about it, but it also speaks to the fact that this person is after the what we call the incarnation. The incarnation happened. And so now, forever, he is the heavenly man. So we could say, another way, the God-man. Just like we saw in Philippians. Although in very nature he was God, then it talks about how he became a man. So here, the heavenly man. Just think about that term, the God-man. A lot of doctrine and thinking that goes into this. Verse 49, let's, let's keep going. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, and we have, right? and I would say you, when I look at you right now, this is what I see, the image of the earthly man. I don't see what God has made of you, but what he made of you is for real, is for real, and it will be the reality when all things are done, when God is finished with us. He says, just like we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Wow. You mean the God man, right? We're going to bear the image of the glorified humanity of Christ? No. We're going to bear the image of the heavenly man. The man who hails from heaven. The person who hails from heaven who is also a man. I'm hoping you get some of this. We will, <clears throat> I think it's a good conversation for Q&A to talk about. If you're, if you're not sure what we're talking about, what the implications are, all of that, you can ask whatever question you want. We won't have all the time here to do that. So, but we'll, I think that's one for discussion. So let's keep it, keep it going. That was point six. What are the properties of glorified humanity of Christ? Glorified humanity of Christ. We just read it. Seven. 
Glory for Christ speaks of a plan completed. It is our Lord praying for what he knows will follow, the completed work. It is further testimony to the motivation of each member of the Trinity to this glorious end. Right, so who's in, involved in this plan? It's not just the Father. As we can see, it was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All of the Trinity are involved to this glorious end. It is not that the Father's working on one part of it and then the Son does something else and then the Holy Spirit's here doing something. No, it's one plan that all of them have their particular roles to to achieve. It's, as I would always say, you know, when you think about the pastor, what's his, what's his job? His job can't be anything other than what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's jobs are. They're all working toward one plan. What do you think that the pastor should be doing? What should he be teaching? He should be teaching what the Spirit of Truth has told him. What is the Spirit of Truth teaching? Well, the Spirit of Truth is teaching... Uh, he says, I'm not going to teach on my own. He's going to teach whatever Christ, whatever Christ told him to teach. And what is Christ teaching? Well, Christ says, I'm telling you this information because it, I got it from the Father. All this is in John 16, 15 through 17. You could read it, or, or 14 through 17. He's saying that he got all this information from the Father. And that's, that's why he's letting us know. All this information, it belongs to the Father, it's deposited in Christ. The Holy Spirit gets it from Christ. And then, past, as pastors, we are to get this information from the Spirit of Truth. So what information should you be talking about as those who are listening to the pastor? Same information. You need to be on the same plan as not only the pastor, not only... The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, not not only the Lord Jesus Christ, but God, the Father. It all flows right back down to, right. If it flows down to us. It flows up to the Father. So these are these are thoughts. I, I, let's see, we we got a couple more, and then we're going to have to close for the sake of time. Uh, point F. Jesus says, He has given us glory that he received from the Father. And that's verse 5. We cover all of that. right? Therefore, we can assume that the Father did grant his request, his requ request for glory. We can assume that that happened. So what Jesus was asking in verse 5, Father, uh, please you know, give me the glory that I had with you before the world began. right? So we can assume that that request was granted because later in the chapter, Jesus is saying, Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me. So that glory that Jesus saw was a real thing. I mean, it, wasn't, it hadn't happened yet, but it had happened to such an extent in Jesus' mind that he knew it belonged to him. He had already finished the work required for uh, that glory. So the only thing now is he's saying, well, let's, let's get the ball rolling now. Give me the glory. And then I've given them the glory. Because all of this is part of us knowing our destiny. Knowing who we are in the Father's plan. This is what it means to have this glory. 
And yes, it's going to mean more later. But right now, the fact that we have this, he says, I've given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one and so forth. So, But we should know this right now, and it should be so clear in our minds about who we are and what we will receive that it is, it is real to us. It is a part of our destiny. It is the hope to which he has called us, the glorious and riches of his inheritance in the saints. So it is part of us. It, it is about us. This is no, no other human being has this privilege or opportunity in the world other than those who Christ said that all of them may be one Father, even as you are in me and I am in you. See, this is this is unique information. So I'm only stating the, the obvious. The Father did grant the glory. We got it as well. Point G. The glory we, re, we receive is from the achievements of Christ. We receive this glory because of, of the Father's sovereign grace. So we already talked about it. Here's another verse that just solidifies that. I'll read it. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Let's read it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, who, who's getting the praise here? The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two important figures, right, that we should recognize. Not only does the Father get praise, but the Lord Jesus Christ does too, right? He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What about it? who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Notice where he blessed us in the heavenly realms. Not here. You're not going to see these blessings here, manifested here on the earth. Where are they? In the heavenly realms. With every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, how did that all that happen? Right here in verse 4. For he chose us in him. Well, if we're chosen to be in Christ... We're part of this new creation. Because if anybody's in Christ, the new creation has come. It's here. We are here. How do we get here? Well, we were chosen in him. He chose us. Who chose us? The Father. And that's why we're saying praise be to him because he chose us in Christ. That's the only way we could have this. The only way we could be here talking about this, because it was hidden from ages past and generations, from angels. It was hid in God. We couldn't even know it, but now we do. We were chosen in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So this language about us is profound. Let's keep going. H, we're going to have to close after this. The Father's plan is about us. That's what hopefully you recognize. I know it sounds self-serving to take the scripture and apply it to us as though, hey, we're special. Look how we unique we are. Could sound a bit arrogant for us to say such things. But you know, when Jesus was here and he said these things about himself and his unique relationship with the Father, you know what they said to him? That's blasphemous. In fact, 
They picked up stones to stone him. I'm not saying this to encourage some sort of cockiness or arrogance on your part at all. That's not why I'm saying that. I'm just saying that the things that are said about us, in order for you to wrap your arms around them, yeah, people are going to see this as, you, you, you might have, your elevator might not go all the way to the top. You might have a screw loose. You don't have a full deck. Because you're saying some things that are outside the realm of human possibility. I know. I just read the stuff about the heavenly man and the earthly man and all that. If anything, people would end up and say, well, yeah, we're of the earthly man, but boy, did we get blessed. They would never say we were of the heavenly man and we would bear the image of the heavenly man. No. For us to say these things are going to cause people to wonder. That's okay. These things are true. We didn't invent them. They're here in the Word. The Spirit of Truth is just revealing these things to us. That's all. So it's about us. It's about us. Yeah, I mean, imagine when Christ was in John chapter 5, and he told those Pharisees that were there. He says, you search the Scriptures. In other words, you diligently are busy looking at the Scriptures. You, And he says, for in them you think you have eternal life. But those Scriptures are those that testify about me. You could say, the Pharisees, well, that's Eric. Who does he think he is telling us that the scriptures are talking about him or referring to him? Who does he think he is? Well, the scriptures did refer to him. And then he says further, and yet you will not come to me that you can have life. You, you refuse. I'm the one, the scriptures that you're searching, that you're diligently searching constantly, day after day, day after day. But, but here I am standing before you, and you will not come to me that you might have life. Yeah, it's deep when you think about the implications of that. So the Father's plan is about us. For me to make that statement, and tell you that it excludes humans of every other dispensation than this one could sound arrogant. Yeah. But yes, this is the goal of the Trinity in bringing many sons and daughters, notice, to glory. It's Hebrews 2.10. You can read, it's bringing many sons and daughters to glory. I have given them the glory that you gave me. There it is. We didn't ask for it. We didn't achieve it. We didn't earn it. We just got it as a result of our union with Christ, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to have to quit. We'll do our best to finish next week or, or talk more about this subject. It is important that we take our time. I want to develop it. I want to take my time. So please, stand by. Hang in there. Let's look at these verses in more detail. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you for your sovereign grace, which has put us in a position that all we can do is marvel and learn. 
with humility about who we are in Christ. We thank you for those who are here, Father, for it is their position as well. They are also in Christ. And everyone who would believe in Jesus Christ in this age, you have <clears throat> sovereignly bestowed, bestowed upon them this grace. So we thank you, Father, for such a privilege, such an honor that we who have done nothing uh, would be raised up, seated with him, with Christ, along with him in heavenly realms, that we will be called his body, the fullness of him. We complete Christ. I'm so overwhelmed with appreciation and thankfulness, Father, that as all we can say is, is we honor, we want to honor you back with, with the service of our lives in this glorious plan. So Father, we pray for this church. Lord, we thank you that we are able to talk about these things openly, freely, and we can discuss them. We can kick them around. We could see what, uh, what they look like upside down, right side up. And that your spirit of truth is there, giving us the investigative mental acuity to understand these things and to, to grapple with the implications of what these statements say about us. Thank you, Father, for this group. Thank you for our being able to openly discuss these things. We pray that others may come to know the fullness that uh, your word says about who we are. We pray all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. 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 Right. Amen.